Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland. I'm your host, Sean C. Hallworth, and this is my co-host, Sean. This Hello. is an awesome paranormal and conspiracy show yeah. about everything. Move over all other paranormal and conspiracy shows. Yeah. We're on the scene. Move over with all your fake news. We got the best fake news <laughs> around. Yeah, this is premium fake news. Premium fake news. Yeah. Um, so I'm talking to my wife today, and she's like, looking through Facebook and and some girl has posted about how she hates Gwyneth Paltrow and she's the worst actress ever and she needs to go die with her stupid bird face or something. And like it it got okay. me to thinking just how terrible people are, you know, to yeah, the point where great. you know, to the point where you can like uh you know, really yeah. have have a personal opinion about Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like On the on the plus side though, I feel happy for this person. Why? Because if you're at a point in your life where you're angry about actresses, yeah, you, you've got to be. You can't have that many real problems. Everything right? else is coming up, <laughs> right? You know, just I, awesome. I mean, people are like that. When you remove all the real problems, you come up with you know imaginary problems. That's are you, just are you making fun of me for being entitled because of our prior conversation? Um, no, <laughs> but I'm mean, entitled. I, I could be. Entitled people. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think it's weird that that's how you interpreted it. Hey, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, so this this got me thinking about like uh, you know you know, politics and everybody is just fighting so hard. And um I had read some other Facebook post where some guy had said that today I went out and I drove around and I had a gun and I wore some Nikes and I bought some Starbucks. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, you know, did all yeah. this stuff and like and you know, he had he had a really good point. And um you know, here we are, you know And the punchline was it's called being normal. It's called being normal, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that um you know we I think obviously um, let our political opinions out there just a little bit that you know we're we're more on the left than I maybe mean, I a, do. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people on our radio station, you know, and um so I I just want people to know out there that, you know, as long as you're not a bigot and a jerk, you're all right. I couldn't have said it better myself. You know. You're all right. Yeah. You know, I I don't really care about that. Or if you're not a Keynesian economist, then, you know, you can die in a fire. I don't know. You lost me there. What is that one? I I have no idea. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I was... I was being facetious. So something else funny in the news. So here we are. As classical economics. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. That's fitting, you know. As long as you're, you know, not a... I mean, those people are unholy freaking heretics. Right, totally. You know? As long as you're not a... <laughs> as long as you're not one of them. A globalist communist. Exactly. Or a No, I, I think that's the opposite, because yeah, I'm liberal, I know. I so I think I like I picked those on purpose. Communist. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So, uh, also in the news, yeah. it is smoky, because there's a new fire. Oh, my God. And it's brutal. And it's it's funny because the car fire was so close to here, but the smoke coming from this Delta fire is like worse, way worse. Yeah. Well, I think as it's, far as air it's quality, mostly a, a fluke of the wind. Right. What's going on? But the but last also few days were horrendous. The, the news had reports. So my my wife picks up my daughter from school today, mm-hmm. and my wife's feeling nauseous because of the smoke. Can't and my daughter gets in the car and she's just like, "Yeah, I'm feeling nauseous because of the smoke," and you know, Terry's talking to me, and she's just all, you know, I'll get sinus problems. I'll, my eyes will dry out, but I'm never nauseous because of it. And then there's, like, this report on the news 
about illegal pot grows catching on fire and meth labs and like honey oil things and like so basically there's all sorts of like just crazy drug shadiness going on because you know we're kind of like at the corner the very corner tip of this sort of green economy you know coming up from us is really where it starts to get wild when you go north right you know is really you know and so this is where this fire is pushing and so (laughs) so apparently We're all we're all getting loaded. Okay, I, you know, I, I didn't notice anything other than you know headaches. So yeah, well, you but, know, you know, maybe I wouldn't. That's how squares maybe and I'm too far gone. To that's me. how squares and noobs respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a square and a noob. I am a square and a noob. All right, so what's going on with you this week? Oh, you know, not a not a whole lot, but I've got to say I'm. You know, speaking of conspiracies and fake news and all that kind of yeah. stuff, this whole bit with the editorial in the New York Times, I'm sure you've heard about that. Everyone's heard about I'm that. I'm back and forth on this one, and this is why I can probably <laughs> it, be it's called... It's insane that this is even a thing, though, right? Right. It is a little weird that people can get so invested in anonymity. Yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly... Okay, there's a number of insane things. About there is. This. <laughs> it's, it's insane as to the way that this White House might be running. It's yeah. insane that people back up anonymity. I find the whole thing just totally ridiculous. I think. Right. <clears throat> I think the real conspiracy here is to keep us spinning. I've said it before that mm-hmm. for some reason I'm supposed to know how to fix the economy on a global scale. But if my car breaks down, I'm supposed to hire a mechanic. It's ridiculous. We are, it's like, I can't, my wife literally has educated herself to the point of being an accountant to do our taxes. You know, <laughs> she spent years training herself and now she's really good and really fast at it. But I mean, it is not a like, hey, let's sit down and take care of our paperwork. We're really organized. Yeah. But it is not so easy. You know, and this whole world, I think, has a set up to spin so that we don't focus on anything. I mean, I don't think it's intentional. I just think. I don't know. It might are, be, we're conspiracy The world here. is very complicated. It, it is. It becomes exponentially more complicated, you know, the, the longer this whole civilization thing goes on. But you don't think people are making it complicated on purpose? I think, well, it depends on what you're talking about. I think taxes, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the stock market, Definitely. Well, really, anything financial is probably, in large part, you know, people making things more complicated than they need to be so that their specialist knowledge is more valuable. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, it's the same people deciding how complicated these systems are who are being paid to unravel these complicated systems. So, like, of course, there is an incentive to make them complicated. Right, right. But, but other things, like, I I don't know, like medicine... The human body is just really complicated. Insurance, that's probably more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, you know, med- law, medicine, too. Is, I mean, <laughs> look at the opi- opioid crisis. I mean, yeah. that's people pushing drugs. They're drug pushers. You know, I can't go out and grow <laughs> broccoli. I cannot grow broccoli in my backyard mm-hmm. and start a broccoli company without investing massive See, amounts I, of money. I feel like, though, that's an issue that is inherently complicated. No one went out of their mate way to make it complicated. It's I don't just... know. Charles Ingalls on Little House <laughs> on the Prairie, he could have started a broccoli company. 
Well, okay, we're talking. <laughs> Is Charles Ingalls? That's like a that's a conversation uh, no, stopper. Like, I, I'm aware of. <laughs> he was a real these guy. People, yes, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, with technology and all, you can't just you can't be a little farmer on the prairie or whatever. You've in order to be at all relevant, you've got to integrate yourself into these tremendously complicated Leviathan systems. Right, you got to become that will a crush you if you step out of line. Yeah, cybernetic gutter pumper. But no, right. right. But I would argue no one's really in control of those things, which is kind of scary, I think. Right. Just, well, I think they're all It's all just spinning crazily out of control and who knows where it's going. We're coming up on the break here. Uh I think it was all little people trying to make little things complicated in order to seize control of their industries. All right. <laughs> coming up here. Big topic there. Big topic. Uh, coming up here, we have T. Fox Dunham, host of What Are You Afraid of? podcast and the new medical mystery thriller, Mercy. Come on back. All right. Welcome back to Radio Wasteland. And our guest, T. Fox Dunham, host of the podcast, What Are You Afraid of? and author of a new medical thriller, Mercy. All caps. Uh, do we have you there with us? You, I am here, sir. How are you? Do I call you T? Do I call you T-Fox? You can call me Fox. I'm very happy with that. Okay, uh, Fox it it's, is. It's my totem spirit, though. So. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never been sure how to roll with the uh, first initial, you know, because um, I always yeah. said that if I was going to be an author, I'd be C. Charles Howard, because that's my middle name, because it sounds cool, but I mean, you know. Well, like, you know, the first initial stands for pretension. That's important. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, how are you doing this evening? I'm fantastic, and hello, Radio Wasteland from the East Coast. I think I'm the only one left out here. We're all running from a hurricane. Oh, yeah. Down in the South. Are, yeah, are you so. threatened by that at this point? or Hopefully not, but they're saying it's going to come up into the Maryland area, so okay. we'll see. We're definitely getting a lot of rain. Well, well we're, we're on running fire. from fires, so, yeah, yeah, we'll meet you in the middle. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Kansas okay, so we're all rushing to the to the flyover states. Then. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where we'll all be taken down by a tornado, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, all right, so I wanted to, in the first segment here to talk a little bit about your podcast, What Are You Afraid Of? Um, hmm. I love the title. When I said it to my wife, she's just, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> she just wants to dig into the fear of, of what each, I think she was thinking like irrational fears of clown suits or something, you know. That's but can you tell irrational. us a little bit about uh, your podcast? Sure. Uh, what are you afraid of? Part and paranormal show. I started the show because, as an indie author, uh, we we do more promotion than we actually do writing out there, stumping our book. And with my health, I can't really get out to a lot of the writing events. And of course, uh, public events are often sparsely populated with audience members too. So. Um, I started the show to basically say, buy my book, buy my book. And because I'm a horror author, I picked horror as the topic. And we decided to do a mix of horror, paranormal, ghost stories, little comedy, some banter, and use my connections in the horror writing community to bring on guests and new horror fiction and basically reach out to publishers, readers, and other authors. Sounds great to me because uh, I am, without a doubt, the most hardcore horror fan I know. It's kind of like the show. It's kind and of lonely. funny about the title, um, when we did it, we were just sort of all sitting around spitballing. Um, and, we, and somebody said, well, what are you afraid of? And it just clicked, you know, that moment where it clicks. And you're like, there it is, there's the title. And without doing any research, I set up the title. 
And we got all these uh, religious fans coming to the show. Apparently, what are you afraid of is a popular um, evangelist phrase hmm. for, for people. What are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of hell? Oh, well, I see. <laughs> well, that seems positive. Yeah, well, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> In a way. So that's what we built our market there. So. Well, luckily, when you're dealing with horror, you're dealing with the paranormal, or you're dealing with anything sort of counterculture, there's really no such thing as bad publicity. Right. You know, as long as you got those people talking about you out there, you know, that's good. Um, so so what are some of the topics you have on here? Uh, can you give us an example of a recent topic? Um, my interest yeah, is um, piqued. Well, I think the episode we have coming up, which is episode, it should be 95, we have a psychic on, Michael Bodine, and he's a world-famous psychic. He's friends with people like Melanie Griffiths and Gary Busey, a, a friend of his. And he came on to tell us about some paranormal experiences he's had. And also, and one of the more interesting topics he brought up was a secret meeting of vampires, real vampires, in the woods. Interesting. So, That's it. Yeah. Well, I have a soft spot for vampires. Yeah. I know yeah. quite a few. So there you go. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of... Uh, we don't usually meet in the woods, but... You know. <laughs> well, apparently you're missing out. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of Clive Barker, and so I really enjoy these things when I... It's kind of the fantasy of Clive Barker's stories that, like, make you think that there's a world beyond. Like, it seems like a lot of stories um, and ghost stories are really sort of specific unto themselves with really sort of, like no um, history or anything in there that sort of ties it into anything other than, you know, something bad happened and this is an echo of that or something. But but anything that sort of conveys that there is this world and culture beyond, I find really interesting. So I do find the idea of these, these vampires and out there and, you know, uh, I'm always asking psychics when they're on, like, you know, what's going on with the world beyond and... Uh, I don't know. You ever get a good answer on that from from anybody? You know, that's a question we ask our psychics too. We've we've had a couple of psychics on over the summertime, and they're just one bride of many of the paranormal guests we have come on the show. And they often get elusive at first, and then they respond like they know more than we will, and they'll always know more than we will. But it's hard to lock them down in an answer. But I think my favorite was um, a psychic who came on, Carolyn Clapper, our first psychic, and she said, she talks about this council of angels or councils of soul who <laughs> sort of watch over the living and guide people through life and death and then um, decide if you're good enough to come into the afterlife. And she'd met this council when she had gotten very sick when she was younger and died and passed on and come back. And you were saying, um, we, we do love listening to ghost stories. We have many paranormal investigators come on the show who are seeking that truth. And I think it gives us comfort that there might be something beyond death. And it's the only glimpses we really have. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's just, it's um, the thing that really kind of throws me off about, you know, because Sean and I, we started this show really kind of as as skeptics, I don't know if skeptic is really the right word, as people who didn't know but were curious and interested but didn't really have any reason to believe anything. Um, we we came onto the sh you know, and so I'm always sort of like, I don't know, looking for, uh, like even with UFOs, I'm constantly looking for an intent. You know, it's like I, I get all the stories, I get the facts, I get 
the stuff coming in, but it's like I've never really got a good answer for intent. And um, and that's where I kind of get a little bit lost on some of these paranormal things because I always want to know, like, the why. And, and I guess uh, I guess maybe that's what makes people skeptics. And it's fun. It, it is fun, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, as a as a horror writer, I assume you are also a horror fan, and I grew up just loving horror and, you know, finding out, like, well, maybe there is something more. And that's that was really my gateway drug into paranormal. I've always liked zombies, and we haven't done enough for zombies. And I'm, I'm so sorry to all the zombies out there. <laughs> we, we will get to you, promise you, sir. So. A lot of them aren't really good radio guests. A lot of one-word answers, brains yeah. and arg and all that, I'm guessing. Yeah. If you can get that out of them. Yeah. Know, but, um, it's in the way they say it. It really is. Well, we don't have too long till the commercial break, so I'm going to stick on zombies here because I, I have a bit of an issue with zombies, and you as a horror writer, I'm sure you have some input into this. I feel like the history of the zombie has been just sort of overwhelmed thanks to um, Matheson, Richard Matheson, and, yes. and uh, you know, oh, gosh, why am I forgetting his name? He died. Night like of Living Dead, George Romero, you know, um, <laughs> I feel like, like the actual history of the zombie, it's like, we don't get any of those, those cool, like Serpent in the Rainbow or White Zombie or mm. these kind of cool old sort of singular voodoo zombie things anymore. And I'm really kind of disappointed in that in horror. Well, it was George Romero who created them. And when he originally created them, I think it was something like the, the, the zombie or the mindless flesh eaters. He hadn't really called them zombies or the living dead. And, you know, and I have an issue with zombies, too, and you touched on this. My issue is that zombies don't sell anymore. I would yeah. love to spend <laughs> my nights writing zombie fiction, but yeah. nobody wants it anymore. It's an, mm. It was an oversaturated market. It was a drastically, I hear they're making another spinoff of Walking Dead, you know, and I read yeah. an interview with George Romero, and he said that he wasn't willing to direct a Walking Dead because it was basically just a big soap opera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they've beaten the undead to death. They have. <laughs> yeah, totally they have. But, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll come back around and hopefully with a new twist. But, you know, it starts to make you wonder when they rehash things so many times, there comes a point where there's just like uh, nothing new. So it's up to uh, horror authors such as you to excite horror fans such as me. Well, I hope, to get... I hope they do because I've got a folder full of zombie stories I'm trying to sell. So Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, when we come back, I'm hoping to talk about your new book. Um, we have about a minute here to go. What? Um, how many books have you written? I've actually written uh, three full-length novels at 60,000 words. So this new one, Mercy, is is your third book. It, it, well, there's some debate on that, because Mercy and my other book, Destroying the Tangible Illusion of Reality or Searching for Andy Kaufman, came out about the same time. I see. So it's in your first three. It's tied for a second. It's in the trilogy. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, so uh, you are listening to our guest, T. Fox Dunham, here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. We'll talk about his new medical thriller, Mercy. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland, and our guest, T. Fox Dunham, switching hats here, going from radio host to horror author. Um, so I've I've had problems with horror not horror, with authors in general being on the show because I don't want to ask them to give too much away from the book because the goal is that you want to 
to buy the book, you know. Um, so can you give us a quick rundown, a teaser trailer of what this book is about? Absolutely. William Saint is dying of cancer. On most days, death seems like a humane alternative to the treatment. He's stricken with fever, and he's rushed to a hospital, and he's in the last days of his life. And in those last days of his life, he's thinking about his past. He's haunted by broken hearts. He's haunted by regret. And when he gets to the hospital, they begin violating him, as doctors often do with medical tests, and torturing him. And he begins to learn that there's something wrong with this hospital. It's decaying. It's decrepit. And the doctors turn out to be something else, and they're feeding on him. They're preparing him. And his past explodes in front of him, and he must confront those regrets before moving on. Was that's that misty enough for you? That that's is. completely terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying, <laughs> because, like, when I was reading a little bit about it, I'm just all like, is this, is this supernatural? Because, like, one thing that I was reading about it was, like, um, sort of... You know, I was saying that it was horror, but when I read the topic, I'm just all, you know, well, this this is potentially just very depressing, you know. Um, but, but you know, it, I think it, most horror walks that line of, honestly, this could happen. It is. You know, I read a Good lot. Good horror, anyway. I, it is. I, I read, to, you know, and they're trying to to give that teaser trailer without giving away, you know. And so what you just told me definitely, um, you know spikes my interest. So really aside from you know supernatural or even in the case of not supernatural people getting stabbed to death in the face, you know all the stuff that goes on in horror. Don't look at me like that, Sean. You're not a horror fan. You don't know what goes on. Um when you're writing what do you try to channel to do you have a plan like to build tension and release it kind of like a horror movie does or you know what's your writing process towards trying to write horror you know it's that's very much what i do um you do plan tension you learn how to pace tension it's a lot like writing music you learn how to create what's called micro tension you do create a plan and uh, like a, like a baker doing a souffle you have to level it a certain way um, readers, modern readers expect a rhythm. They expect a sine wave, a curve when you're writing fiction at the beginning, middle, and end. And they expect plateaus, crashes, larger plateaus, climax, twists. And I can actually see the chart in my head and I've taken time to learn how to convert that sort of curve, that sine wave from the modern novel into a plot where you can give the reader what they expect. Because if you mess that that those expectations up, the reader will put the book down. Yeah, there. I, I definitely agree. There, there is room for people to break their mold, but for the most part, we want we want an exciting twist to something we feel comfortable in. You know, that's why horror so often uses sexuality or comedy to make us feel comfortable before they stick us with fear. You know, um, right? Exactly. Yeah. So or juxtaposition. Right. Yeah. Um, I've I've always wondered about writers in general, and I'm sure this is different for every writer. When you write a book, do you have the idea in your head, or do you actually like write out a or uh, an outline? Maybe like you would a school paper. You know, anytime I've tried to write something, I've actually done like this outline. Okay, so they go here, they do this. Here's the, you know, and I'm trying to 
to create that that roller coaster that you're talking about, you know, what do you do there, or does it just kind of come out of you? Right, ideas come like quick flashes. They come like celestial visions, and they're fast, and they leave you with a moment of inspiration. But then you have to figure out how to apply that to the modern form. So I will get an idea, or I'll get a twist, or some piece, or an element, or I'll go, "Oh wow, what a great idea!" That you know, that man's being possessed by a troll. But then you have to, like we were talking about, apply it to that sine wave, to that model. Because there are so many different elements, especially writing short fiction, there are so many different elements you can pick in a story, so many different character moments, but everything in the story has to be necessary. It has to push the plot along. It has to be pushing that reader to that expectation, to that climax, to that twist, and answering a certain question. You know, does he or she survive? Do they get killed by the zombies? Yes, they do, and this happens. But you also have to deal with um, theme and character growth and arc, which is not just do they survive, but how do they change and transform along the way. And it's a lot to figure out. It's a lot to plan. So, yes, I will take out my notebook. I will take out my index cards. So I you do chart it on some level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and, and another thing, so I've always aspired ever since I was a kid to be an author. You know, I never succeeded at anything i wrote it i wrote a script or something twice but um so part of my fear of being an author myself has always been that inspiration does come in bursts like you're saying and i've always been sort of scared that each burst would have a different voice um carrying the inspiration of who i was at that time and what was going on in my life at the time and while the two the story may match that the voice doesn't necessarily match. Do you find that maybe that's the case and you go back through and have to tie the voice together depending on where you were at in your life when you were writing each part as it came? That's very true. And it's not just about tying the voice together. It's also about writing for the market that you want. You have to, there's a difference between writers and professional authors. A lot of people write and they enjoy their writing and there's no pressure on them, but to be an author... You have to learn to write from that inspiration, to write from your voice, but also to know how to create another voice, to write for the market that you're writing for, or for a short story, which is very different than writing from fiction. Yeah. You're not writing, writing a novel. So yes, I will have to go back and change a particular story. Let's say if it gets rejected for one market, I want to send it off to a different theme or a different genre. I will have to go back and kind of find a synthesis, a synergy between the market elements and the audience expectations and my own voice or who I was then and who I am now. And stories grow. You know, I will. I wrote a story called The Last Elf, and it was published by Grey Matter Press by a, a friend, Anthony Riviera. And it took me 10 years to write this story, and it just went through so many evolutions. And finally, you know, looking back at the first draft and looking back at, like, the 11th draft, it had changed so much, but I could recognize that growth. So I guess the best way to say is you have to evolve to meet your fiction. Yeah. And your yeah. fiction has to evolve to meet you. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm I'm a musician, and so I, I write songs, and they tend to be, you know, shorter or at least less investment on it, on a, on a word level. You know, um... And I found that when I'm creating things that um, I eventually have to pull myself away and say, no, you're done. You have to let mm -hmm. the rawness of what you put in there come across, or you might just be 
you know, tweaking and poking at this thing forever. You know, do you find that there's a time when you're writing where you basically have to say, no, I'm going to go through dot some I's and cross some T's and, and, and I need to be done and I need to let that art come out or I'm, I'm just never going to be done. You're never done. I mean, a story will never be done because you're always changing and growing. And it's funny, uh, my, I don't, I never finish my stories. I just run out of time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The deadline is due, and you have to get it off. But I, I like it's, that. It's I'm going to use that in my life. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell authors, other authors, I'm like, look, there's a point where you've got to stop. You've got to get it out there because we're perfectionists, and right. we're always chasing the vision, that translation of the vision into the words, and it's never going to be perfect. The moment it gets perfect, we're dead. We're bored. There's nothing left. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or. Or part of my problem, at least with um, songwriting, was that I'm putting so much of myself in there that by the time I'm done with the song, I might be a different person. And I look back at that song and I think, what an idiot wrote that. You know, and so that's kind of the hard part where I have to, like, cut it off and be like, oh, I'm done. And you got to walk away. And so, you know, do you look back at your at your previous books and think like, oh, man, I could have done that this way? In horror, yes. Um, it's very hard for me to read previous work and you not see how I could have changed it and improved it. It's also reassuring because it lets me know that I'm growing. But it's also, um, if, if an author can look back at a story they wrote previously and feel comfortable with it, then they're in a good place because it never happens. Right. All right. Well, we're coming up on our next commercial break here. You're listening to our guest, T. Fox Dunham, horror author and host of the podcast, What Are You Afraid Of?, When we come back, we're going to talk about an event he has coming up here, Horror at the Fort. Come on back. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, T. Fox Dunham. Uh, So when we left, we were talking about your book, Mercy. And um, now we want to talk to you a little bit about this event you got, Horror at the Fort. What is this? Um, Hart Fort Mifflin, it's our second time doing it. Fort Mifflin is one of the country's oldest historic forts from the Revolutionary War in Philadelphia. And we have been honored to set up a horror author's event there. We did it last year, and we're doing it this year. I mean, I'm trying to promote uh, more gathering and events for horror writing in Philadelphia. I mean, we didn't really have a horror community. It was very much like a deserted island around here. But, you know, I'm trying to bring people together, and we had some people come down from New York last time, and this time we're focusing more on Pennsylvania authors, and it's a great event out there. We have vendors come out, we set up tables, and then we'll do a hard reading of several selected authors in Casement 5, which is just a haunted, spooky location. I mean, it's in this old fort, and it's very dark, and it's lit by candles and lanterns, and it's, it's wonderful to have the horror authors go up there and you know, give us their material, and then that night there's a ghost hunt that they do, okay. uh, that people can come out. And you can find information about that at the website at www.whatareyouafraidofpodcast.com. We'll have event information up there for anybody who wants to come out who's in the Philadelphia area on October 6th. So is there an ample amount of fans in the area? Mm. Yeah, um... There is. Every horror author has a sort of following in the area, friends, family, and people who come to local events. And, of course, horror author fans and horror fans are everywhere, and it's just a matter of reaching out to them. 
Yeah, well, I tell my wife over and over that I want my retirement to be making a horror film, and she's just all, well, that's not really a realistic retirement. And I told her, oh, no, horror fans will watch anything. If you could afford to make one once, you could probably afford to make another one because as a horror fan, I will literally watch 99 terrible films to find that one that is just absolutely beautiful. And with Netflix, it's easier because we have, uh, you know, a larger variety of horror films out there with less investment that you can take the time and, and find some real gems out there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I've been so busy, I haven't had much time to read. I, I feel... Um, embarrassed admitting that but i am a a horror reading fan also i just haven't had much of a chance to in the last five years but man this conversation has inspired me and now knowing and and frankly i gotta tell you you think that you're in the dry wastelands of like of like desert island of of horror out there you know reading is like culturally um lacking in a lot of areas so, grass well, is that's why you're, you're online, though. You're, you're on the radio, and you're <laughs> reaching out to yeah. people yeah. around the world. Yeah. Which is odd, because Reading is exactly the sort of town you'd think would be haunted. It's like Sunnydale from Buffy or Twin Peaks from Twin Peaks. It's like, it's that kind of town, and yet, there's nothing. It's like Welcome to Night Vale. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? Am I crazy here? It, it is. Yes? It's, it's a little small bit. Small town you know. where, where all the dark things happen, you know. Yeah, well, it's funny how... I think you kind of nailed it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, what about your first two books? I, I realize this one's tied for a second. Were they horror? The the first one seemed like it was maybe fantasy that you were just telling us about. Well, that was my my first book. is actually called The Street Martyr, and it was a crime novel. I also write... I, I write in all genres. I mostly got into horror because, to tell you the truth... It was the best-selling genre that you could break into. That's what I was saying, and man. I, loyal fans and horror. Yeah. And my first novel was *The Street Martyr*, which was about uh, two low-level, sort of incompetent Philly drug dealers who get blamed for the gruesome death of a priest, and they have to prove their innocence while coming to terms with their lives. And I'm happy to say that'll actually be a major motion picture from Throughline Films. Um, it's in production now. Awesome. And. Yeah, so that was a, a lucky stroke for me, and that was crime. And my second book, Destroying the Tangible Illusion of Reality or Searching for Andy Kaufman, again, it's about my story with cancer because I was diagnosed at 18 with a rare lymphoma that I nearly didn't survive. And so a lot of these books are a catharsis for my battle with cancer, and that's more mm -hmm. of a, a whimsical, insane, philosophical novel also, of, very much like the comical stylings of Andy Kaufman. Yeah, well, the the title, when I read that title, it definitely brought to mind, um, you know, uh, Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and sort of these, these crazy titles. So when I read the title, I'm just like, man, what is this thing about? <laughs> and that was the effect, you know. Yeah. You know, if Andy Kaufman were alive, he and I would definitely be besties today. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, you know, we're not too far from the end of the show here. So um, can you tell our audience about where they can find out more about what are you afraid of podcast and really mostly where they can get a hand on your book. Well, you can go over to our website at www.whatareyouafraidofpodcast.com where we've got a page for every episode with information for our guests. Plus we have an archive of ghost stories on there that people have sent in that we also have an audio narrative read by our voice actors 
uh, there was a wonderful British voice actor called David Walton, who does a lot of our narrations, and he's incredible. Now, I have a website over www.tfoxdunham.com. It's still kind of under construction, but you can also go over to Amazon or just type in T. Fox Dunham on the Internet, and my books will pop up. And so now that you've finished this book, of course, there's there's a lot of um, pushing it on the on the road. But, uh, you know, what's next for you? What are you working on? Uh, next, um, I'm working on some short fiction, working on some crime fiction, working on another sort of horror novel called Mr. Bones that I'm shopping around for a publisher for, and a sort of sci-fi novel that I'm getting into. But it's, it's always um, short stories pop up. I have one coming up on Near to the Knuckle this Wednesday called Tongue. It's a crime story. And just, you know, stories pop up. You take the job, you work on them, and... Try to put more time into your books. You get so distracted. Yeah, yeah. It seems like um, you know switching gears would be difficult. I'm a you know I'm an owner of a business, but I also do a lot of the work, and I find that switching from the work to the administration can be incredibly difficult. Although you still have to train yourself to do it. And in looking at artists and writers and and these people, the people who truly find some success are the people who are able to to switch somewhat effectively. Right, and it's very much, I always call it juggling. You're juggling worlds constantly. And today I need to be working on a crime story, tomorrow I want to put work into this horror novel, and the next day I need to jump back and write an article. So it's always good to have good notes around, but in the end it's very jolting. It's like waking up from a nightmare, falling asleep, and falling into another dream. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on the show. Uh, we're here at the end. Can you give us the website one more time? Sure. The podcast website is www.whatareyouafraidofpodcast.com, and you can also find me at www.tfoxdunham.com and also on Amazon. Just type that in. And the book is Mercy, my horror hospital thriller about my battle with cancer made metaphor. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been totally interesting and very inspiring. I'm going to hate working my typical day job tomorrow as I <laughs> fantasize about all the things that I could have been. Well, when you go home, you can start reading Mercy. So there you go. Thank okay. you, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much for being on the show. You've been listening to T. Fox Dunham here on Radio Wasteland. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. You've been listening to our guest, T. Fox Dunham, talk about his podcast and his New book, and, you know, I've had issues with authors being on in the past, not because of them in any sort of way. Yes, though we do hate them. We, we hate them, you know. Yeah. Uh, Paul Blake Smith, hate him. Yeah. Totally hate him. Actually, yeah. I don't hate him. We I have to- a hate shrine. I totally him. love him. No, Here, he's, here's he's the great. hard part with, mm-hmm. with authors um, is you want to talk to them, but without giving away the whole story of the book. Exactly. You know, and so I think he struck a nerve with both of us as as something that you know we'd love to be doing, but we're just not. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I I went to college for specifically writing to be a writer. Yes, you're right. And I spent four years listening to writers talk about writer things and and writing and being mm-hmm. in workshops and that sort of thing. And then I got out of college, and my work ethic just evaporated. Right. So, as it does, you get into the real world and you're just like, nah, I'm just going to watch Netflix for, you know, when I'm not working. So, is that really what you do? You just watch Netflix? No, I I don't, but... What do you do, Sean? (laughs) What do you do instead of writing? I do write. 
but the problem is kind of what you were talking about, that I start something, and then I'm like, nah, this is no good. Right. And then yeah. I start another thing. Insecurity, fear of completion, Pretty all these much. things, yeah. And the other thing is that, um, you know, there, there's two halves of this whole thing. And I spent four years learning the one half, which is knowing how to write. Mm-hmm. The other half is knowing anything about the business of writing. Right. Yeah. Which he they made do some not good teach. points there. He made some good <laughs> points there. And like, he really did. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that like, see, I was learning from professors who largely, in many cases, largely became professors because they'd gotten burned out of being professional writers mm-hmm. and harbor like deep grudges and resentments against the entire publishing apparatus. <laughs> so the last thing they want to <laughs> talk who about can't teach. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing they want to talk about is how to appease the publishers that right. they left writing. And went into teaching to avoid. <laughs> right. They don't want to talk about those people. They want to talk about, you know, the type of writing they like. Right. Which is not necessarily what sells. So <laughs> so maybe all of these, anybody who goes to school to be an artist. Maybe, which is a terrible decision. Maybe should have to take a class <laughs> on Andy Warhol. You know, somebody who, who mixed marketing with yeah. art you know i'm sure that there are others but he's the first example of somebody who truly mixed marketing and art together it's like uh my kids like they say uh you know over the years they've said different things you know i want to be a photographer i want to mm-hmm. i want to make music i want to do these things and and uh i'm just all that's awesome do you want to go to college and they say yes and i say well then if you want to be a photographer i suggest you minor in photography and you major in business yeah you know um no see that's a good idea but it doesn't always occur to you when you're a senior in high school no no and you uh, hate all things business related <laughs> i was i was never a senior in high school but i can imagine not a lot of things occur to you when you are no I because mean, when i was supposed to be a senior in high school being a senior in high school didn't even occur to me apparently right. well teenagers are technically speaking idiots so right, right. <laughs> yeah well my buddy chad used to say that when you turn 25 your brain falls out of the side of your head and then on his okay. 21st birthday i mean his 25th birthday he's just a well maybe it's 26 <laughs> yeah or maybe he thinks that because his brain fell out right you know I, I doubt you'd notice so i'm 25 unfortunately so how do you how do you motivate yourself to do this i don't know uh i feel how does one motivate themselves? <laughs> not, not you. I understand that you're having this crisis as well, the crisis of completion. Right. You know, how does one push themselves through this? Because I want to do it too. You know, I have this whole, you know, all these years I thought uh, I had a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And people like said like, well, I think you have a fear of success. And I'm just all, oh man, that's like the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. A fear <laughs> of success. What is that? You know, but, but if I analyze yeah. the things that I've done through my life, I, on some things, I will literally get like 98% of the way done. And then I'll be like, nah, I'm done with that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, no, I, I, do I don't want to let thing. it go. It's become a part of me and I don't want to let it go. I have comic books that i've drawn i have scripts that i've written i literally have a lot of stuff that i have never really shown to any other human being in the world Mm -hmm. just because i'm just all oh no that's mine now 
Well, honest, honestly, I think it's a lot of the, the same thing. You know, you do the part that you know how to do, which is you produce the creative thing. Right. And then you don't do the part that you don't know how to do, which is showing it to people. Right. Which is much harder. And most people don't know how to do that, really. Right. Most people don't like doing that. I did it in college because it was required due to the classes. Right. That's what we need. And, you know, people liked it. <laughs> yeah, right. I got a lot of good feedback. It was always a we really good We need to do what thing. this guy's doing. He's shopping around for a publisher first. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> well, I, I think you can once you've gotten a few things out there. So you got to have some stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, that's the hard part. You've got to... Yeah, you've got to burst through the the door well here's part of my problem everybody has some form of mental illness really if you haven't been watching the news and oh yeah watching everybody everybody's got something so actually i mean to to shed some light on this i i was reading it's literally 50 percent of people yeah so yeah. not everybody but half half yeah, of people are, are diagnosed with something right the other half are just not diagnosed yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good point <laughs> so the thing that i've struggled with throughout my life is apathy sure I just don't give a rat's ass. You know, it's my escape. You know, I'll, I'll care about things and I'll be like, oh, no, it's too hard. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. So it's been so ingrained in me to not care that the idea of pushing myself out there, putting myself, I just don't see how anybody would give a rat's ass about what I was doing whatsoever. Why would anybody in their right mind even slightly care? Oh, is that the end? No, of the, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not really looking for an <laughs> I thought, answer. I thought you were going to like turn that into something motivational. Well, but I, then I the think I just ended. I think I just stumbled across my own <laughs> answer to that, and that is nobody's in their right mind because they're all mentally ill. So apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, maybe they will care. Yeah, no, you know, in, in all honesty, um, I have written books before in, in my life. I haven't gotten them published, but you know that that in itself is. You just do a, a laughably small amount at a time, right? And eventually, yeah. it's done. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is with everything. All right. Well, T Fox Dunham, <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening, we really appreciate yeah. it. And hopefully, good on you, you aspired to. <laughs> hopefully, you inspired us. Maybe one of us will complete something and dedicate it to T Fox. Yes. All right. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. Come on back for the news. I was Pulled me over. Yeah, my throttle was stuck and my seatbelt was stuck, so I couldn't reach the brake then. And whew, if you hadn't pulled me over, then. Well, I was going to say, you don't smoke, do you? I suspended my mind to a little projection. Would I get the ticket or the speed of action? Felt kind of weird when the cars I passed started zooming on by me. My sick grandma to the hospital. She's having twins. Oh, she's in the trunk. She likes it in there because she can smoke. She's a vet. Gave the drunk test and inspected my car. Then proceeded to chat about his old Jaguar. He wondered if I'd ever even met his wife. Then he started in telling me the story of his life. And he waited and waited for the punchline. When he gave me the ticket and he 
just spread it out. Stop repeating yourself. What the hell is wrong with you? Holy or something? You just blabber whatever you want to. Fuck me. If I was a psychologist, I'd be like, okay, your hour's up, so write me a check, but I'm not. You sound like a 14-year-old girl with boy problems and a phone. Stop polluting my consciousness with your incessant drivel. Are you sure you don't have a cigarette? There was a very long silence till he said, please sign. He was a little less friendly than a porcupine. Car went off to the auto record. I got five tickets and I still got a lecture. Never ever drive another beat up. Then by God, I always know my fucking alphabet. I'll never, never, ever, ever speed again. Because it's hard to speed as a pedestrian. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Sean, you got some news? Yeah, so speaking of writers, there's a, a thing that um one of the writers said to me a long time. One of my professors said to me, and it really stuck with me, because we were in a writing workshop and a bunch of people had written like dystopian short stories, and this is not her favorite genre, so she was like fed up with it. Hmm. And so what she said was, you How know, many he, Stephen Vincent Benets <laughs> do the world need? Exactly. Yeah. Like, she's more of a memoir person. I so see. she was like, eh, I don't want to read well, all this genre fiction. Well, she sounds a lot of fun. Fiction. She oh, sounds like she's a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's great, actually. But Totally. You know, she knows how to put down a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so what she said, all right, <laughs> um, and it stuck with me, was that, you know, you really, you can't come up with something dystopian that isn't happening somewhere in the world right now. Mm. And it's like, you know, that's kind of true. Like, you know, if you're going to college in California in the bubble of Santa Barbara and are living in the dorms or whatever and they feed you, (laughs) things can look pretty good. Yeah, but it's dystopian for your parents who are paying your meal card. Yeah, and it's dystopian for people who are, say... Not in the United States, right? Yeah. Or a developed country, and that's something we, or we Appalachia. forget a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is all tying into a topic that has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about today. But one of the largest underground churches in China, um, was there have been crackdowns recently. Um, this has been a, a big thing in the regime of Zai, I think is how you say it, Mister mm-hmm. Zai. Um. He's really been cracking down on religious freedoms lately, and that's been kind of a a huge deal in China. Um, So, the thing about China is that they have freedom of religion uh, so long as you stick to one of the state religions, of which there are six or seven. Oh, really? Yes. So, what is that? uh, Buddhism? No, there's various. There's like a, a state Catholic church. Like there's there's versions of all these different religions, but they're heavily regulated by the state. So what's and this like, underground church? So many many people in China do not attend services at state sanctioned churches. They attend you know underground churches. Um, this was the one of the largest Protestant um, underground churches in Beijing, mm-hmm. and recently they've been complaining that officials from the government have been coming in and harassing people and destroying their stuff and and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, now this isn't technically 
paranormal or anything like that. But we do discuss conspiracies a lot oh, here. Absolutely. We discuss the dystopian. We we discuss all this sort of thing. And honestly, just me reading this, yeah. I was like, There's I, your dystopian ten, novel. I tend to assume <laughs> every country is just the U.S., but with a different language and different food. Right, right. Yeah. But no. it's like, no, <laughs> it's, you know, some of the largest countries in the world are pretty darn dystopian, frankly. That's how most people in the world spend their lives religious freedom no right you well i mean six look at churches <laughs> right look at china six churches exactly. or or look at russia you know right what they do to their people or or we were just talking earlier that it just legally became legal in india for consensual gay sex it's like exactly and you slap together happened. india and china and that's you know a significant oh, yeah. portion of the people on the planet yeah I, i'm <laughs> thinking more than half yeah well over half yep so, yeah, that is dystopian, that is crazy, and uh, she has a good point. But, I mean, there are dystopian stories out there that are not currently going on. Oh, that's true. You know, look at uh, Snowpiercer. Yeah, know, I mean, that, that's There's a nobody different. riding a train around the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, she she wasn't literally correct, but yeah, yeah, no, in a, no, in I, a figurative yeah. sense, there was a, a good point going on there. There, w- there was, and... Um, you know, uh, a lot of those dystopian novels did mm-hmm. play off of the world today, but the world today is not moving so incredibly quickly that they are obsolete. Um, te- oh, no. Technology has come into play um, in a much larger way, but, mm-hmm. you know, there is the one angle of 1984. There's the one angle of Brave New World. There's yeah. The Handmaid's Tale. You know, um, all the time, different little pieces of these stories are, right, are relevant. <laughs> right. And um, the one that I find to be the most accurate for the way that at least the United States is going mm-hmm. is um, the one Fahrenheit that, 451. Yeah, Fahrenheit yeah. 451, the one that people would probably say isn't, but but it was driven there via capitalism. It was not that exactly I, not that I have a problem with capitalism, you know. <laughs> but but that's the path we're on and so it was a dystopia that the consumers demanded right right exactly that's that's the path we're on so it creates a plausible future there so like if we could uh or what is it uh was it china the like social media rating system yes yeah, so that was also china and i i brought that up i don't know a few months ago for yeah. for i think similar reasons cuz these are just it's it's crazy to us here because we are, you know, raised on a diet of, of dystopian movies and all of these kinds of things and concepts like that. I, I think the first thing, the first place our mind goes is fiction, not China. We've had that, and then you realize this is real in some places. Exactly, for a lot of we've had that discussion <laughs> on paranormal and especially aliens. That anytime somebody proposes some sort of potential reality that's already been done in fiction, people automatically scoff it off exactly as though there's no way it could be reality we because fiction to, already covered it. When we were, when the one guy called in and, and said, Hey, no, that's a, an outer limits episode. Oh, right, right, it's right. It's like, right. <laughs> yes, because every possible motivation of aliens has already been covered in fiction pretty much. Totally. It's a, it's a rich, <laughs> it's a rich genre. So, you know, one day the scales will fall from our eyes or whatever, and we'll see the truth, and we'll be like, hey, that's just like that episode of, you know, X-Files or Fringe or whatever. Right. It'll be like something. All right. Well, you are listening to Radio Wasteland. Our question to end our show is, which dystopian novel do you think we're living? Have a good evening. Hate to see you hungry, but you're not
in your face. I hate the beauty in you. I'd hate for us. 